0: Hello and welcome to Call to Queer, where we hold space for the queer Mormon women, genderqueer, and intersex experiences. I'm Colette, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Kate, and my pronouns are she, he, they. Today, we're interviewing Sadie Rogers, and we're so excited for this conversation. But before we jump into that, we wanted to start off by seeing what brought us Queer Joy this week. So Kate, what brought you Queer Joy this week?
1: So we're prepping to go to do affirmation. We're as we're recording, the affirmation conference hasn't happened yet, and I will be in Utah for that. So I'm like getting psyched, getting prepped for it. And I ordered some t shirts to wear to the conference. And that has been my queer joy. I'm very excited about the Marian Morris. Do y'all know the Marion Morris story? No. I mean, Marin Morris, right? Thank you, Marin Morris. The Marin Morris yeah. story. Yeah. 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 Colette, do you know what happened? Do you know who she is? I don't. That doesn't mean sounds about. like Sadie knows. Okay, Sadie, will you tell us?
2: <laughs> yeah, so she's in... She's a country singer and pretty famous. Like, she's pretty good. And I'm trying to remember what happened. It was something... Do you remember exactly what happened? I feel like I remember the fallout, but I can't remember the event itself. Yeah,
1: so Jason Aldean, whom I used to love, but I've actually boycotted country music for the past year, which Mm -hmm. has been really hard for me because I grew up listening to country music and I actually adore country music. And I really liked Jason Aldean, but I haven't listened to him for a year. And his wife made transphobic comments on Instagram Right. Okay, yes.
0: I did hear about this. So then the fallout.
1: Well, basically,
2: like, Maren Morris, like, called her out, right? Yeah. Like, she was like, hey, like, you need to stop doing that stuff. So then people, they were kind of going back and forth, and she made T-shirts. Yeah. Maren Morris made T-shirts that were, like, that said something like, Trans Lives
1: Matter or something like that. And, oh, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. It's the, so, yeah, it went back and forth. And then Jason Aldi's wife in it, tried to insult Mary Morris. And so she made that into the t-shirt. The insult yeah. is the t-shirt. And then the, oh, I right. is the trans hotline. So hopefully I'll be rocking that at the affirmation conference. That's my I'm hoping it will get there in time. And she made like, she made a ton of money right away. And all the proceeds are going to trans
2: kids. And it's like so
1: cool. The proceeds I think go to the trans lifeline specifically. And I think that because that's the number. And I think that, they made like $100,000 in like 48 hours or something like that. Right, right. Super crazy. And it keeps
0: growing as Kate buys
1: their t-shirts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I feel like I can finally listen to like, I can like creep back into the country music scene a little bit.
2: There's also, if you're interested in coming back, Lily Rose is a upcoming Let me artist. Write that down. And, and I'm not sure of their pronouns, but like, awesome. Really good music.
0: Lily Rose. Yes. Yeah, and I just pulled up the shirt. So it says Marin Morris, lunatic country music person. And then it yeah. has a fans lifeline number. There's
1: so great <laughs> right? Anyway, Colette.
0: Yeah, so Mike for Joy is I'm a little tired. I just had my second Queerly You retreat this last weekend and it yes. was so fun. I just I wanted to create in-person community for queer women who grew up Mormon. And we had 10 women sign up, had a beautiful house in Camas, Utah, and we had some fun workshops and discussions and lots of connections. We did an aerial workshop one of the days that I led and we just had a lot of fun hanging out and getting to know each other and some deep friendships have been made and I know I need to recover but I need to start planning another one because I—they're exhausting, but they're yeah. so fun. And as we all know, community is just so important. So I'm—that's been my queer joy: is being like, ah, that happened. It went well. People liked it. Community
1: happens. Hooray! Wow. <laughs> it's, it hasn't even been a year. We started this podcast last December, and we're recording mm-hmm. at the end yeah. of September. And you've already had two queerly you retreats. Like you've yeah. been busy. It's, it's a been lot. a year for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how about you Sadie I'd love to hear your queer joy
2: my queer joy is actually last night I went to a soccer game I live in LA and there's a new women's soccer team this season oh so um, jealousy. Did you get season yeah. tickets you can go a lot we got a four pack and I was gonna buy season tickets for next year I should have but I'll buy another four pack because I can't get to all the games but it's women run and the energy in this stadium is electric. Yes. Yeah, so it's the angel city football club. And like, it's so good. And honestly, I am not a very, I don't do public displays of affection very much, but in this arena, I feel so safe. And so like I get to sit there and have my hand around my wife and you know, give her a kiss on the cheek every once in a while. And it's it's just really incredible to be in an environment where like, you know, they don't do like the kiss cams, but you know, they'll go in on, they'll show a couple and two women will kiss and everyone will explode. Like everyone is so happy. And I'm like, where else can this happen? Where? I don't know that I feel safe in any other arena, you know? And so- that's my queer joy is that I get to go to those soccer games and I, I get to like be a normal person. I don't know. It, it's really nice.
0: Oh no, that's amazing. I got goosebumps as you were talking about I that. Too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so cool.
0: I mean, I'm waiting for the Utah Royals to come back. I had season tickets when they were here and the same thing, even though it wasn't maybe as, Outwardly, like soccer, female soccer is a very queer thing. Like you're surrounded by <laughs> queer people in a female soccer stadium. It's iconic
2: <laughs> and, in the queer world. Yeah, yeah.
0: But especially Angel City, I'm. I would love to go to one of their games. That's so fun.
2: It's so fun because, like, you know, you've always got like Glennon and Abby there, or and just like really amazing women and you know humans, and it's just like so fun because everybody
0: the it's electric it's so cool so glad thank you so much for
1: sharing that that's awesome i want to come to a game with y'all when i'm back Ooh, in southern calm. california i'm gonna go to game with y'all please do
2: please do it's so it really is i like actually the first time i went i was like is this church like i haven't <laughs> felt <laughs> that <is> so cool <laughs> I was like, I haven't felt the Holy Spirit like this in a while. Like, it just feels good. It gets inside. And so I definitely recommend it. It's fun. Very cool.
0: Awesome.
1: (laughs) Glennon was like one of the first things that Colette and I bonded over were (sighs) the Glennon Abbey podcasts.
0: There was one of their first episodes. They talked about queerness. I forget what the Mm -hmm. episode's called, but Kate and I had talked about that was really good. And I know Glennon Doyle, as it was for a lot of queer women, her book Untamed was a big part of my journey.
2: Oh my gosh, yes.
0: <laughs>
2: oh my gosh, that book was like transformative for me to be able to like hear some things. I don't know. I obviously growing up Mormon a certain way, but then to hear her talk about how Basically, like, you are a divine being, so you can trust yourself. I was like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> right.
1: uh, Oh, it was so, so good. I mean, Glennon is like a really great way to transition into your Queer in 60 Seconds because you were, as that book came out, like, you were going through a very similar transition. So maybe we can start with your Queer in 60 Seconds.
2: Yes. Okay, that's great. So I grew up Mormon, very Mormon family, Gilbert, Arizona. That's, you know, that was just the whole life. In high school, I realized I had queer feelings. But at the time, I recognized those as straight up just temptations. I wouldn't have identified as gay. In fact, I went to a therapist that was trying to tell me I was gay. And I was like, nope, not the narrative I want. That's not what God wants for me. So like, I don't ever want to go back to therapy again. And so I didn't, well, at that time. So I left high school kind of in a place where I was like, I I would constantly pray and just be like, hey, God, let it be just me and you. Don't let me fall in love with anybody. Don't let me have feelings for anyone. Just me and you. You're all I need just me and God. I'll go on a mission, I'll do all the things. And then I went out to Boston where I actually met my my husband, my now ex-husband, but he, you know, he was a nice, smart, charming guy and fell in love with him and we were married for 12 years. We had three kids together. They're literally the best kids in the world. I don't know how I got them. I got lucky somehow. And so during that marriage, I had told like year 1 I told my husband that I had things in high school with girls but like I was definitely done and he was like okay you know we're cool and then you know then we start having kids and then the kids get a little bit older so I can start thinking about myself and I ended up realizing oh my attraction towards women is really still there and so I told my husband and I I think it was like 2017 I Came out as like bisexual just to him, though, like nobody else. And he actually took it pretty well. And he's like, sweet. It was a good way for me to be able to keep my marriage and acknowledge this side of myself. It's still very Mormon, still very active. And when I was at the beginning of 2019, I was relief society president in my ward. And I ended up falling in love with my best friend, which is unfortunate because the fallout that happens after that you know I don't know I've talked to so many women now that have this story that it feels almost mainstream to me now because of how many people I've talked to that have had this experience I know it's like jarring probably from somebody on the outside looking in like what you fell in love with your best friend but this happens all like, so much like, yeah yeah you're nodding party. your heads you're nodding your heads like yep yep heard it
1: heard that story <laughs> lived that um, story yep yep yeah okay
2: okay <laughs> so we kind of i fell in love with my best friend i ended up kissing her while i was married to my husband and then i went to my bishop and i was really i was i don't know i guess i'm stubborn i really wanted to live the mormon life like i that was the ideal the husband and kids and family that that was eternity to me since forever you know so that's what I wanted but after therapy and a lot of praying and soul searching and all that stuff you know my husband didn't really want to do a mixed orientation marriage and in the end I was kind of like well I'm not gonna I don't know there was a lot that went into it but it was like okay This isn't going to work out, basically. Like, I can't pretend I'm not gay, and you can't live in a mixed-orientation marriage. So here we are. And so then we decided to get divorced, and that's when I read Untamed. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I'm, you know, every page feels like it's smacking me in the face. So there was a lot of trickiness that happened afterwards. I was still, like, at this time when we're going through divorce, I'm like, okay, well, I'll just spend my life alone. And it's me and God again, right? Like kind of that same frame I was in after I left high school. Like, okay, it's just me and God and nothing else matters. And I'll focus on my kids. I'll find a career and I'll be good. But then I got really depressed, <laughs> really sad. And so I ended up, I was like, I need to talk to some people. Cause I was the only person that I knew going through this. So I ended up joining North Star and I signed up. I never made it to a North Star conference because basically (laughs) I met Quinn, who is now my wife, pretty quickly. (laughs) I met her right at the beginning of the pandemic and we were emailing and calling. So it was kind of weird for me to go from this space of like, okay, head down, let's just do what God wants me to do. And that's definitely just be alone and have my kids and keep my covenants. And then all of a sudden I find myself in love with a woman again. And I'm like, wait, what? Like I even went to North star. I went to the place where you're supposed to keep your covenants. I went to North star to follow you. And all of a sudden I find myself in love with a woman again. Like what? So I did what a good LDS woman would do. And I prayed about it. And the answer I got was that I should just love her. And this was good for me. So Quinn and I started dating like more seriously. About a year later, like nine months later, my bishop had heard about it. And so he called me up and was like, are you living the law of chastity? And I was like, whoa, are you sure you want to do this? You know, because it was kind of one of those things where like, As a member, I knew I was doing something outside of the bounds the Lord had set, right? But I also was in a space where I was like, I'm going to talk about it when I'm ready to talk about it, right? Like, I had went to the bishop when I kissed another woman. I went to the bishop in high school when I kissed a woman, you know, like – I, my experience had always been me going and confessing. I had never had leadership come after me. So my default was to trust them. But both my bishop and my stake president, that process was very traumatic. And, you know, so I kind of started my journey with Quinn, hoping to date and still go to church and be involved. But it kind of ended... It, it hasn't ended, but but the way everything happened with my church leaders, I realized, oh no, I am literally not wanted here. There was specific right. verbiage saying, do not come here. And I was just like, oh, I didn't realize that I was that bad of a person that you don't even want me here. So that was rough. That was like yeah. April of 2021. Quinn and I got married in October. A council was almost held for me.
0: You're almost on your year anniversary.
2: Yeah, so we're almost to the year, and it's been a really good year. I love being married. It's so fulfilling, and you always have someone there to like be with you and hold you, but you also have somebody to like call you when you're not being a very good person, and they're like, excuse me. That's a dumb thing you're
1: doing. And it's like, ah, fine. Okay. (laughs) So it's great. So, but you, we know the story. If you've listened to Sadie on Questions in the Closet or Richard Osler's podcast, you kind of have a little bit of this background, but you're about to say that you went through a process with your bishop. Yes. So it was a little bit of a weird
2: Thing I had three phone calls with my bishop, and he sent me to my stake president. And that those happened all those three phone calls happened in the span of like two weeks. Then I had a meeting with my stake president the next week, and it was horrific. Like, I had never felt that bad about myself as I did sitting in front of my stake president and the things that he said to me. And it, at the end, he was like, We're gonna hold a council for you next week, it can be Friday or Saturday. And I'm like, Okay. Well, one, why? Like it's been like three weeks since I've been talking to you guys. We need to hold it next week. And then two, I work. I was working on an ambulance and I'm divorced and a single mom. And you're going to hold it next week when I can't even make it like awesome. And I was so, I actually left that meeting having the first panic attack of my life. I had never had a panic attack before, but like And I had seen people have panic attacks and I didn't know what that felt like to not be able to control yourself. So I left that meeting crying and bawling. And then luckily Quinn was at home and was able to take care of me because otherwise I probably would have had to like call 911 because I couldn't get it together. So unbeknownst to me, because I'm in like the pit of despair, (laughs) Quinn tells her mom what happened. And Quinn's mom is like, if something needs to get done, she gets it done. So she ended up calling the General Relief Society board. She calls them up and she's like, she doesn't know anybody there. She's like, this is what just happened. Or she was like, you're supposed to support the women of the church, correct? And they're like, of course. Yeah, that's what we're here to do. And she's like, this is what just happened to my daughter's girlfriend, and she tells them everything that my state president said to me, and they're like, that does not sound right. So did you like my Relief Society voice? It was that perfect. Was yeah. it, it was spot on. Yeah. <laughs> so they ended up getting in contact with, I believe, the Area Authority, who got in contact with the Area 70 who got in t- contact with my stake president. So I do not know any of this is happening, but somewhere in that line, the stake president and the area 70, cause you know, it's supposed to be handled locally. They decide not to have the council. And the hard thing is like the stake president was a hundred percent willing to go because on Tuesday or Wednesday, I got the letter in the mail, like you are officially being called to a council, like certified mail. I had to sign for it from the mailman. So I, on Monday, he had to have been a hundred percent ready to be doing it. But by Thursday, it somehow got called off and I don't know the workings of what happened, but. Oh, it's a long story to say the council did not happen, which was a little bit like part of me was relieved because obviously I was having so much, so many feelings around it. So it felt kind of good. I felt a little bit justified because I was like, okay, something definitely was off there. Like the church doesn't just call off councils for no reason. Something was off. So that felt good. But then like at the same time, like now I'm in a space where I'm like, well, I just have to wait for the next bishop to get riled up about who I am and my decisions. And then I get to go through it all again. I don't know. It's a little scary.
1: Yeah. I want to start with this portion because there's a lot to unpack here if you're okay with that. (laughs) Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I know it's traumatic. Like this is a, you're talking about having a panic attack. This is a really traumatic experience. I don't know mm-hmm. that people recognize. I think growing up, we're always like, oh yeah, like we know those people who get excommunicated. We know those people who go to disciplinary councils and they must, you know, if they, we have our own ideas of how this happens, but when you're in the midst of it. And you have been praying, right? Like you have just said, I was praying that whole time and getting certain confirmations about things that it just, it feels crushing, like so crushing. So I want to honor like how devastating this would have been and how traumatic it was and probably still is. But there's a lot here in your story I think that's worth exploring. First off that a bishop called you to ask about the law of chastity. Like, I don't remember if you had said that in another podcast before, but for me, when you said it just now, I was like, Bleh. this is something I like am very passionate about because I think that people should have access to their own private lives and mm-hmm. be able to unpack things in their own lives before an unqualified untrained person enters in and starts starts asking you questions like that have you has anyone approached you to say that they've also had a bishop call them and ask them are you obeying the law of chastity
2: you know i actually haven't had anybody come to me and tell me that their bishop did that. I will say that it was in the middle of COVID. So like California, we weren't back going to meetings yet or anything, but it was very abrupt. Like it kind of came out of nowhere. I was like, Hey, Sadie, how's it going? Also law of chastity. And I was like, Oh, and I literally said, I was like, are you sure you want to do this right now? Because yeah. And I guess I haven't heard of anybody else that had been called up like that. I do know, I have heard that there's been other people where leadership has kind of come after them, Mm -hmm. but this specific sort of like, hey, buddy.
0: Yeah. And like, what was your relationship with the bishop before this point? Like, had you had much, I mean, not that makes this boundary violation any better.
2: He was a really good friend for a long time. So that maybe plays into it. I was his Relief Society president, right? Like, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So he was like a really important person in my life. And I trusted him a lot. (laughs) I now realize that I shouldn't have done that. And it wasn't my fault. I'm not saying it's my fault. But the boundaries were a little more blurred because he was one of my best friends. And he knew I was dating Quinn. I don't know if I should go into this part of the story. The interesting thing was that like, it was a big deal for me. Quinn was coming into town. And I was like, I want her to meet some of my friends and two of my best friends were one of them was the bishop's wife and another woman in the ward. So I went out to dinner with these two women and my girlfriend at the time. And then a few days later, my bishop calls up and is like, are you living the law of chastity? And I was like, wait, what? What just happened? Because this whole time the bishop knew I was dating someone, but he, I don't know what transpired, but he must have found out some information that he was uncomfortable with, which I don't know. He kind of was like, my hands are tied. This is, I just got to do right by you, Sadie. And I'm like, this is you doing right by me? I don't right?
1: Know. right? Doing I, right by me?
2: <laughs> the thing was, I wish he would have known me enough to know that like, in all honesty, When Quinn and I decided to get married, I would have gone to him and said, I think a council needs to be held because I'm taking the next step and I'm choosing this path. That's where I was at with my relationship with the church. I would have said, okay, it's time. I need a council needs to be held and I need to be excommunicated or something. I, that's where I was at. And I just, he felt like he needed to step in and do something. That could have been a lot of different reasons, but I don't know.
1: That's really interesting because I was going through a really similar process probably at the same time and thinking always I need to approach the bishop. I need to be the one that's coming to the bishop and telling him everything. And right. since then I've decided who how how have we developed this mindset within the church that we owe somebody who is unqualified? Who doesn't have the training to handle this? How have we decided that these are the people that we're going to trust with something this important that they oftentimes don't understand? And that is not to criticize bishops or stake presidents as much as it is to say that the system is not preparing bishops and stake presidents the way it should be for this sort of thing.
2: Yeah. And I think what was interesting is I I'd had an experience with this bishop when I kissed another woman while I was married, right? Like I went to him and told him these things. And when I went to him penitent and sorry for what I had done, I'll be straight up like I felt God's love for me. It was a very spiritual, sacred experience for me. And so I think I was expecting the same type of feelings. like, Because this time I was like, okay, well, I'm not sorry that I'm with my girlfriend. I'm not sorry for that. But can we find a space where we can talk? And I guess I was expecting to find God's love in these phone calls or in these meetings with these men, as I had done before. But it wasn't there. It was a different tone that I wasn't I was like, oh my gosh, this is the opposite of what Christ makes me feel like. The way Mm -hmm. I was being treated was the opposite. And I think that you have a point that this is my whole life here that I'm talking to them about. And they're not trained. And I think that we would do well to kind of teach that more, right? Like they are your bishop. And guess what? He has another job. He has another family. You know, like he... He has a lot of things and therapist is not one of his, one of his checklist things. you know, it's like, it would be a good idea to take leaders and put them on the same level as everybody else, which is actually where they are. Instead of, I I trusted my leaders too much with my story and I'm not going to do that again.
0: (laughs) Same. Well, and I think you bring up an important point that stories are sacred And I think we're kind of trained in Mormonism to not treat those as such because people are entitled to our stories when that's not true. And so being able to take that back for yourself. And that's one thing I love about this podcast is we do try to share and treat all these stories as so sacred and personal. We're so grateful for you being willing to share these very vulnerable parts and hope people take it in the spirit that it's given and not use it against you in some way. Like, I know some people might be very scandalized to hear, Oh my gosh, Sadie kissed another woman while she was still married. And it's like, why would you be judging her for that? That's actually not an uncommon experience for a lot of women I've talked to.
2: Yeah. And that's been interesting to find out. Cause that's like the part of my past that I'm, I, very quickly feel the most shame about, right? Like I made a commitment to my husband and I broke it. That was my word and I broke it. And I'm not going to lie before that experience. I was probably one of those women that was actually, no, I know I was one of those women where (laughs) like, at least as far as the church goes, I was like, Oh, I love the law of chastity because I know that's a law that I won't ever break. Because you you don't break it by accident. So like before this experience, I you know I'd sit in the temple and I'd be like, yes, love this one because checkbox got it. Like I know I'm not breaking the law of chastity. And then all of a sudden, perfect old Sadie finds herself in this situation, and I am just like. Oh my gosh, I have no idea what's going on in people's lives. It's easy to look at headlines or to hear somebody's side of the story and just be like, to just judge people for what they've done. But a big thing that I've learned over the last few years is that I don't know the whole story and I can trust and love people wherever they're at, you know, like, even yeah watching people with money watching people with their relationships watching people online like i can see it and i can make judgments but also i don't know that whole story so i need to let it be because i am the one that essentially cheated on her husband when i told myself that literally you know like that never happens by accident and it didn't i it didn't happen by accident i you know made the decisions but also I never thought I would be in that situation. And I was so I'm trying to be better about not judging. People.
1: I think it's important for people to recognize that you had said, right before you started that this is the thing that you feel the most shame about. And you're talking. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm very emotional. I do know that this happens. This happens frequently. And not everybody is willing, or able to talk about it. And you've been on questions from the closet you've been on um listen learn and love you've come here and you've expressed this story even if it does bring up shame like this story is helping people this is a really important story it's not just you and to the whoever's listening to this and you've experienced this or you've fallen in love with your best friend this is not a unique experience i think it's you know it's very telling that we started out with Glennon Doyle, the fact that this book has been in the New York Times bestseller for like, literally three years, there's something to be said about that. And it is very brave. It is very brave for somebody to come on and share this story. So thank you, Sadie, for doing that. That
2: means a lot. That really does. Because sometimes I'm like, what am I doing? Like, why am I telling people all my stuff that I've done? But it means a lot that you've been able to connect with that. And yeah, there are people, there are other, a lot of other people that have felt the same thing. And it means a lot.
0: I'd love to talk more about your now mother-in-law being such an ally and advocate for you. Like I was kind of seeing that in real time and I was in awe of this happening. Could you just talk more about that experience of her stepping up and supporting you in this?
2: Yeah. Kathy Kelly is like, Wonder Woman. And she's a no nonsense kind of woman, you know? She's a convert to the church. I think she got baptized when Quinn was like one. And she's a California Mormon. I don't know if the you know, if there's a difference between
1: (laughs) Mormons. We've all lived in California. We know what you're (laughs) talking about.
2: So a few days after I had my panic attack and I'm just lying in bed, really sad, and Quinn's like I need to tell you something. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I can't deal with more stuff. And Quinn's like, my mom called the General Relief Society Board. And (laughs) so like, Quinn's like worried to tell me because she knows that I like even this, I'm going to be honest, this is the most I've ever talked about this experience publicly because I don't want to throw stuff at my stake president or my bishop, really. I don't want to like throw them under the bus or, you know, whatever. We don't need to get into too many details, but I don't like to make scenes or to tattle or, you know, like I'm very, I don't want to tell more information that isn't mine, but So Quinn knows I'm this kind of person and she's like, oh crap, like Kathy Kelly has made a big deal out of this and now now she's the one that has to tell me, right? She's like, so my mom called, you know, Salt Lake. I'm like, you know, I'm kind of in a space where I'm just really sad. I don't really know what's happening. And so Quinn just kind of tells me that, you know, the leaders are talking somehow. We don't know exactly what's happening. And I'm just like, What? like, are you kidding me? Like something's actually happening right now. And I remember Kathy actually calling me and telling me that she found out that the council wasn't going to be held. And I just felt a wave of gratitude for her and thankfulness that she, you know, I had like, my parents were like, We'll write letters on your behalf or, you know, I had friends reach out to me and tell me that. But Quinn's mom was like, no, I'm not writing you a letter. I'm calling Salt Lake. And just the fact that she was able to find the wherewithal to step up and do and put her neck out there, right? Because like, honestly, if you call Salt Lake and they take your name down, they're going to let your stake president know that you're calling people, you know, like Mm -hmm. their stuff gets around. And so the fact that she was willing to put herself out there and stand up for something. And her biggest thing really was because she saw what Quinn went through with Quinn's bishop. Quinn went to her bishop and said, I'm dating a woman. I'm gay. And this is what I want to do. And her bishop was like, hey, do you want to go to the temple? And she was like, I'm not interested. And he's like, "Okay, we'd love to have you and your girlfriend come to our ward. And so Quinn gets this bishop that's like, come, however your family looks, however your dynamic looks, come. And my bishop was like, okay, we're going to hold a council for you. And so Kathy Kelly's response was like, why is there a difference? Why they're the same couple? Why is one bishop treating her this way? And why is one bishop treating her this, you know? So the fact that she was willing to like put herself out there. It was healing for me. It was incredible for me to have somebody that was willing to step out of the box and go after something that was important to her.
1: Yeah, that's certainly an ally. I think there's a little bit of history that if you haven't been out for very long to kind of wrap your head around this story, if it feels insane, because it is. Um, <laughs> that In 2015, June, 2015, the United States legalizes same-sex marriage and the church had something in place, ready to go if same-sex marriage is legalized. And that is the November, 2015 policy. That's what, three months, four months between those things. The church knew that this was coming and they had a plan in place. So, That was 2015. That is rescinded in 2019. And what we think about is the children, right? Like, we all know that kids weren't able to be baptized, and that was what exploded. What we don't ever remember is what happened with same-sex marriages and folks in same-sex couples, which was, for those four years, they're considered apostates, and mm-hmm. after 2019, you get 2019 and the policy changes, and that's when BYU changes its honor code to match the policy to say we're y'all are no longer apostates, and also we're taking mm-hmm. out the homosexuality clause. All of that was dealing with the November 2015 policy. But since same-sex marriage has been legalized in the United States, the church has never dealt with it other than the policy. So when they rescinded the policy, there was nothing there to take its place. And so what's happening in real time in your life is this lack of a policy, a lack of any sort of direction and how to handle this.
2: Yeah. And that's, I think it's so apparent because I actually, after I told my story, I had somebody call me up and be like, The same thing is happening to a couple I know. And I think it was like either in Washington and Oregon or something. And they're like, the leadership is coming after them. Who do I call? Who did your mother-in-law call to like get something to happen? And, you know, so I gave them the general relief society's number and they ended up calling and it was a full stop. They were like, we don't deal with local matters. So it's really interesting to see how, there's some things like I have my bishop that bishop and stake president that comes down hard on me, but Quinn's bishop doesn't. And then somehow my council gets stopped, but other people's don't. It's a really weird time right now where you've got, it really is Bishop Roulette. You have bishops that are so kind and so loving and are just focused on the gospel to where they're like, anybody come, we want anybody. And then you have bishops here that are like, well, we can't look worldly. So don't bring your girlfriend to
1: church. I'll call you up and (laughs) ask you about the law of chastity.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And there's honestly so much more surrounding that, that part that, I don't know, I won't say on here, but it was just interesting to be the one that got called out.
0: Jeez. Thank you for sharing all that. It's unfortunately not an uncommon story, even if people don't realize it. Yeah. If you're open, I'd also just be curious. We have a lot of listeners who are in mixed orientation marriages or have been. I'd love to, if you're open, I know it's not just your story. It's also your ex-husband's story, but kind Mm -hmm. of hearing more about that process and how that was went down. What divorce has been like. I know people worry about kids Anything you're able to share about that, I think, could be very helpful.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is also another part of my story I haven't shared a ton about. So the process of deciding to get divorced was pretty tricky, just because we had never, you know, eleven years of marriage had never once brought up the word divorce. Right. Like it's not even in the it's scope of a table. things. It's not a possibility. Yeah. yeah. And even when I. Kissed my best friend, and I knew I had to tell him that I had done this thing. I still wasn't like, Oh my gosh, she's gonna divorce me. Like, I was just like, Okay, like, I'm gonna tell him, and we're gonna get through this, and it's gonna be okay. Like, I'm never gonna do it again. I got this, right? And so, what ended up happening, like, I went to a lot of therapy, and we were both just pretty sad. We couldn't quite figure out how to go through things. And my ex-husband, he's very smart. So he ended up reading a lot of things. And I think even prior to this, he reads lots of things. So he starts like handing me books. And I I can't remember this book that he gave me. It was called like, it had the word Jane in it. Like it was like Dear Jane or like Love Letters to Jane or something. And it's a whole book on women realizing later in life that they're gay. And, like, leaving oh, their I'm husband. i this
0: one.
1: Oh, my I, gosh. Uh, Shout out to, I don't know how your, like, your relationship with your ex-husband <laughs> is. But that is not an experience I have heard about. But it's right. I
2: It's actually – this is a weird experience. Which also, I don't know. Maybe there are other men like this. Because I actually just had a guy reach out to me that was like, hey, I – my wife is going through the same thing you went through. I'm her husband. And he like reaches out to me and is like, thank you. And I'm like, I've never had a husband reach out to me and tell, I don't know. Somehow- this, is, this is healing for it's me. Weird.
1: To hear you <laughs> to hear this story is healing to me, to know that there are husbands out there that that care that much about lives like this. Wow, that is huge.
2: Yeah, so he's like giving me stuff, basically being like, you're gay, we got to get out of this. Which, if I'm honest, I appreciate that he knew himself enough that he could not be in a mixed orientation marriage. Because I was very much in a space where I'm like, I can do a mixed orientation marriage. And my ex-husband felt differently, right? Like He was like, no, this isn't I think marriage is supposed to be this way. We didn't decide right away, but it was a lot of back and forth, especially for me. I was just like, why? Divorce never feels right. I'm not getting beat, so I shouldn't get divorced, right? But ultimately, I realized after 11 years of marriage, if I have to convince him, if he doesn't know why he should stay with me, then I think that. Maybe it's time to move on. So it's a little weird because it's almost like reverse. You know, usually in this scenario, husbands are wanting to hold on, but then things blow up and they have to break away. In this scenario, it was more like I was the one trying to hold on. And he was like, no, you got to let me be, which comes with a lot of other things, which is interesting. But then we're best friends. And like, we're going to co-parent and we're going to do a good job. So divorce wasn't too painful when it happened. And the kids, the kids, the kids, like that is what I was most worried about. Right. Like that was the most reason why I didn't want to get divorced was the kids. Like I want a stable home for these kids. So they, I've honestly been so impressed with them. We ended up telling them and that I still, to this day, feel like that was the worst day of my life, like, or at least worst moment Mm -hmm. of my Mm -hmm. life was having to tell my kids that we were getting divorced. But honestly, I watched them go through their emotions, like, my oldest was pretty stoic, my middle was just like, really tender, and my youngest lost it. He was like, five or six, and he's bawling, because in his mind, divorce means he'll never see dad again, or never see mom again. Mm. And so we kind of had to teach them, that's not what it's going to look like. Mom and dad are still your mom and dad. And actually, nothing you can do can make us not your mom and dad. Like, that's just how it's going to be. So that first telling them was the hardest thing I've ever done. But then afterwards, and watching them kind of grow and learn, watching them to connect to other people that are different has been rewarding they'll come home from school and be like oh this person's parents are divorced and they have the same schedule as us and i'm like oh that's so great you know (laughs) so there's been good but there's also been hard like for a while my youngest would be like i wish we could all live together again and i get that's i wish everything was perfect too (laughs) But it's not. So we had planned to be really tight co-parents. And like when I started dating Quinn, I brought her over here to meet my ex-husband because it was like, this is how it goes. So it started off very amicable. Unfortunately, it hasn't continued in that direction. Mm -hmm. I hope that someday it will come back to genuine friendship again. But I think that we both found other partners pretty quickly. And there's been a lot of trickiness around custody and stuff that's like, it's hard to figure out and it's hurtful sometimes. And so we're in a spot right now where we're not like, things aren't super great, but I'm hopeful that as time passes, things will settle down and things will get better. But, you know, I still, we still both make sure that the kids only we only talk good about the other parent and the you know it's really hard i don't want to minimize like hey if you're in a mixed orientation marriage get out because the other side is hunky dory like i'm not going to say that encompasses the whole experience for me there's been a lot of goodness that has come from divorce and from being on the other side and there's also been a lot of hard and some of the hard has been from the church which honestly is an external factor that i wish the church would have taken the opportunity to have been a support to me instead Mm -hmm. of a thorn in my side. Like while I'm going through all these changes, instead of having a leadership that I could rely on and look for and a place where I felt safe worshiping, I instead felt isolated and alone, which is a bummer because like, that's what church is supposed to be, right? Like when we feel alone, that's supposed to be the one safe base that we have but that wasn't the case for me and so there's been a lot of hard after after divorce for me but like also a lot of good too like i am honestly so happy it feels really good but there's also a lot of hard i don't know like yeah uh, i mean
0: it sounds like life that you get a, a of everything
2: <laughs> yes which honestly i've actually been thinking recently Because I feel like there are a lot of more, not necessarily highs and lows, but I feel more emotion than I felt in my whole life, right? Like, since going through this experience, I am, I feel really sad sometimes, but then also like, I feel like I couldn't be happier in the world. And then I'm kind of like, up and down and not all over the place. There was a time where I felt pretty emotionally all over the place, but like, I feel more emotion. Than I have ever felt. And just recently, like yesterday, I was like, wait, is this what everyone feels like? (laughs) Because I considered my marriage to my husband to be pretty good. Like I was happy. And there were hard things, but mostly it was just all very even. Like I just, there wasn't highs or lows really. It was just even. And now I'm like, oh, wait, 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 wait. Is this me feeling things? Is this me living life? These emotions like wait a second is this what's supposed to happen is this
1: what people feel I don't know that's so funny I have uh, this week I had that same experience that was like I wish that I could describe to people what it feels like to actually feel things when you've cut yourself off from your body, you've cut yourself off from how you actually feel about things. You've stifled all of those things in order to fit in this box that you thought that you needed to fit, that once you're Mm -hmm. out, that you get to experience the full range of everything. So it's interesting that you're saying that because I was thinking that this week. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And so now I'm like, actually, I don't know. I need to call my therapist because like, wait a second. Like, <laughs> I feel like since I've gotten divorced, since everything has happened, I feel like life has been crazy and it has been. There's lots of circumstances that has made life crazy, but also emotionally, I have felt so much. And honestly, in my brain, I've been thinking that's a bad thing. But until like yesterday when I was like, wait a second, what if this is the human experience? What if this is me feeling all these things is what I'm meant to do as a human? And that self that was living the perfect life, per se, was like, so even because I wasn't really feeling anything. I don't know. My mind is blowing up right now. So.
1: I mean, I think it feels a little (laughs) bit out of control, but at the same time, I think that for me, I've seen, and I've thought about a lot, how we have choices. We talk about agency, but we have so many of our choices predetermined for us. Oh, it's Sunday. We're going to go to church. Oh, Mm -hmm. it's Wednesday. We're sending our kids here or we're having kids, right? There is a prescribed life. And a prescribed daily routine within Mormonism that when you're outside of it, it does feel chaotic, but you get to choose suddenly a lot of different things for yourself. Not saying that any of us are outside of Mormonism, but we are in a sense that we get to explore a lot more of our feelings, a lot more of what we want to do and how we want to do it. And I wish that all Mormons got that. I wish that all Mormons felt comfortable Being like, yeah, I'm choosing to go to church on Sunday. I'm choosing this activity to go to this week instead of a prescribed routine.
2: Yeah, I feel that. It's definitely interesting. Sometimes it's actually a little scary because like, I'm trying to remember when I decided that I wanted to be a mom, like when I wanted kids. And I cannot remember because I just grew up knowing that I wanted to be a mom and that I wanted kids, which may just be a thing inside me, which is fine. But also, like, I think it's very conditioned because I just saw, have you seen Warrior King? Is that what it is? Woman King. Woman King. Oh, no, I haven't yet. No. Oh, my goodness, you guys. Viola Davis is my celebrity crush. She (laughs) is incredible. It's so good. But, like, it's this pack of... Women that like are these warriors for this village in Africa where there's the slave trade going on and it's terrible, but like these women fight and keep their land, but they're not allowed to get married or have kids or something. That made me think, like, oh, they had the option to not have kids. Like, I was like, oh, that wasn't really an option for me, which I'm glad I had the kids, but someone like my wife who has never. Quinn has never had kids. She was the abnormal, right? But guess what? She actually doesn't want to bear children, right? And so like, I'm so proud of her that she like made it through the conditioning and through certain things to be like, no, I don't want to physically have children. So I'm glad that she was able to choose that.
0: Can we talk more about your relationship with Quinn? Like you two are such Mm. a cute couple. I don't know if you're open (laughs) to talking about like you you met through North Star, dating long distance, deciding to get married when you both come from these Mormon backgrounds. Is there anything you want to share about all that?
2: Yeah, Quinn is the best. Like she, she's like the highlight of my life, which is great dating long distance is the worst, but also worth it, right? It was during the pandemic. So it was lots of calls and lots of emails. But then what was nice was that she was working from home so she could come visit and she could stay for a little while because she was working from home. So she would just get on her computer and I would... I obviously have the kids, so I it was harder for me to travel back and forth. So dating was great and we're getting more serious. And honestly, I'm proud of Quinn and I because... We come from Mormon backgrounds when you're supposed to get married when you're 18 or 19. And we're lesbians who are known for u haul So <laughs> I'm proud of us. It took us a whole year and a half to get married. We, uh... <laughs> but basically, it was like... Okay, we're getting serious. I really love her. She loves me, and this is something that we want to do. And I kind of—it's funny because when you leave a marriage, I'm like, ugh, I'm never getting married again. But then, you know, when you fall in love with somebody, it's like, okay, never mind, let's get married. <laughs> so I ended up proposing to her. We hiked Mount Olympus in Utah. Nice. <clears throat> I did not know it was going to be that hard of a it's hike. It's a hard it was hike hard for me. It's a hard hike. <laughs> And I was going to propose at the top, but at the top, it's all rocky. Mm -hmm. So it's not like there's like a flat surface. It's just like rocks jetting out of the top. So like I was trying to find like a flat rock, but she was just kind of like nervous. Like she was just like, oh, there's a bunch of rocks and it's really high up. So I was like, I can't propose to her when when she's stressed about (laughs) falling off a mountain. (laughs) So, (laughs) so I ended up, we got up there. It was really beautiful. And then we came down to, there's like a saddle near the top and I ended up proposing there. And that was actually really fun to be the one that proposed because I love that in queer couples, it's not known necessarily who's going to do what, right? Like you get to break all those boundaries. It's not the man does it to the woman. It's like, I don't know, whatever goes. And I was like, I've already been proposed to. I get to propose to you. And so it was a (laughs) surprise to her and that was fun. And so, yeah, we got married and she moved in like a few weeks later, moved her stuff from Utah out here. I feel so bad. This is real love, guys, because she has a five-bedroom house in Utah, a backyard. She lives right across the street from Target, like, best setup ever and she's moved in with me in a three-bedroom apartment in LA no yard everything costs a million dollars and we set her up because she works from home she has this tiny we blocked off half of our closet so we've literally put put, in
0: the closet
2: we've literally (laughs) put her back in the closet it's pretty rude I get it but Every day after work, she gets to come out of the closet and we get to be wives again. It's great. (laughs) So she works from there. I'm working as an EMT and as a substitute teacher. And we're living the kid life, you know, taking the kids around. And it's actually really wonderful to have a wife. Oh, my gosh. Marriage is so nice. It's so nice to be married to a woman. (laughs) Like, nothing against men. I really, I love men. I, I, there's a lot of very special men in my life, but like, gosh, being married to a woman, like, it just <laughs> makes so much sense. Sorry, is this weird? It's I'm not really weird. Off. We're like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Highly recommend it is really great, but you know, no pressure. Everyone has their own path. Some people never get married and that's super cool too. But for me, I'm like a commitment person. That's why I love the temple so much, right? I loved Mm. the temple because I love making commitments and I love, I just love that. So I love marriage and especially marriage to a woman. So recommend 10 out of 10
0: love that. Thank you for sharing all that. You two are such a cute couple and Thank you. your wedding pictures, just so much queer joy for me seeing you two and being able to go to your reception out here in Utah was just so happy. And I'm so glad I get to know both of you.
2: Thank you. Yeah, it was, the wedding was amazing. And it's been really beautiful for me to see my family and Quinn's family and just the friends really come and support us. It's it's funny cuz like when I got married at 19, that kind of support and love is sort of just expected. Like I got married at 19, like everybody's like, "Yay, great." And then like this time around, if I'm being honest, I wasn't expecting it. In fact, I thought a lot of people wouldn't be super excited about it. And I could tell when people weren't excited about it. You can just tell when it's like Hey, I hope you have a happy life. You know, that, that is so much different than, Oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you. You know, like there's, there's a difference and it's okay. People are allowed to be in whatever spaces they're allowed to be in, but getting to experience unconditional love from my family and my friends has been one of the most transformative and beautiful experiences of my life because that kind of love is what I imagine God's love to be like, what I imagine Christ's love to be like. No bounds, just love. And I feel extremely blessed to have been able to experience that.
1: I think that people really connect with that. People really connect with your story and hearing about that Beauty. And as you're talking, I'm actually thinking about the rainbow. The rainbow has come to being... Queerness and even physically, the rainbow comes with rain, it comes with storm, it comes with lots of really difficult things. And yet, like, through this journey that is really hard, I'm not discounting the trauma you've experienced. Like, you've I can I know I see that having an ex husband and trying to deal with custody of kids, all of that is hard and challenging. But to hear you talk about beauty. I don't know how often I hear people talk about how beautiful their lives are other than in queer relationships, how much you have to fight to enjoy just like pure love. And I think that your story is like really emblematic of the rainbow. It's really emblematic for me of like, there is something beautiful for us to look forward to. And I hope other people get that sense too when they listen to your story. I love that. That's really cool. I love the rainbow.
0: <laughs> no, as I see the rainbow art behind you. <laughs> we've
2: got a rainbow tree over here, and we've got Jesus with a rainbow robe on. Love it. Or no, the kids have rainbows on them, and Jesus is hugging
0: them. So Both great. Good stuff. <laughs> well, as we wrap up, is there anything else you wanted to talk about or wish we had asked? No,
2: I'm really grateful for you both for this space. It's nice to talk to women. I feel like there's a lot of men podcasts out there. So thank you both for offering this space and like honoring where I'm at. And it's great. Thank you so much.
1: Um, maybe we want to ask or talk about your, you are also a leader in the women's sphere. Yes. So I'm part of
2: a women's group in lived in love. Um, And lived in love is a space that I've kind of always wanted which is path affirming and faith affirming. There's lots of people that are in mixed orientation marriages and doing the church thing all in. And then there's lots of people that aren't in the church and are queer, but were raised Mormon and just need a space for people like them. And it brings that diversity of different experiences together and everybody gets to kind of have that space. So lift and love. The women's group—it's really fun. I've met a lot of awesome people, and yeah, it's a good space to be a part of.
1: Yeah, so definitely, if you're listening to this and Sadie's story sounds familiar, any part of it, that might be a good place for you. Definitely. And queerly, you with Colette too. Yeah. Yes. Start planning my
0: another retreat once I recover from this one. So.
2: Recovery is key. Mm -hmm. Oh, for
0: sure. Well, thank you so much for taking this time out of your schedule and being so willing to share and be vulnerable. We really appreciate you, Sadie.
2: Thank you guys for having me. It means a lot, really.
0: Thanks for listening. We appreciate you joining us today. If you're liking these episodes, we'd love it if you'd rate and review Called to Queer on the podcast player of your choice so that other people are more likely to find us. We'd also love it if you'd share our podcast with a friend who could benefit from hearing these stories. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at hello at calledtoqueer.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Call to queer. See you next time!